1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: So let's pray. First, Father, we come to you now as your children and we have needs, and Lord, we need for you to open our eyes, in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 23. We're gonna cover these 12, first 12 verses of this chapter, 23, one through 12. So, that's where we are this morning. Your attack in his own temple one wave after another of assaults. In chapter 21, verses 15 and 16, he was attacked by the chief priests and the el- and the scribes who were challenging the praise that he had received by children. And then in chapter 21, verses 23 through 46, and then on into chapter 22, one through 14, he was attacked by the chief priests and the elders who were challenging his authority. And then in chapter 22, verses 15 through 22, he was attacked by the Pharisees along with the Herodians who were challenging his position with regard to Caesar. And then in chapter 23 through 33, he was attacked by the Sadducees, challenging his position on the resurrection of the dead. And then in chapter 22, verse 34, he was attacked by a Pharisee lawyer challenging his position on the Torah on the law. So one vicious attack after another vicious attack, the challengers of Christ appeared, they attacked him, they fell, Christ alone is standing. And then came the great pivot. The great pivot when the challenged Christ became the challenger Christ, and this all happened in the last chapter in chapter 22, verse 42, when Christ challenged his attackers with one question. And the question in verse 42, chapter 22, verse 42, was what think ye of Christ? What do you actually think about the Messiah? And from that one question, Jesus then elegantly brought his challengers to understand that the Messiah is God and they were waging a futile attack against God as they were attacking Christ. Reminds me one time of a a 10-hour flight that I took, a British Air flight that I was on that was going from London to Nairobi about 15 years ago, and it was an all-night flight. It was a night flight, and the plane was practically empty. There was nobody on the flight. I don't know why there was nobody on the flight. So I found that there was another American on the flight with me, and we started to talk, and she told me that she was an anthropologist and she was traveling to Africa to study the links between the apes and man. That demonstrated that man evolved from the apes. And so I informed her (laughs) that Jesus Christ made man out of the dust of the earth and he didn't do it from apes. And she was enraged. And she told me that there is no God She announced to me. And, you know, with that announcement, I looked at her and I asked her one question, which was actually the last words that we spoke to each other. (laughs) This last question was that I asked, I said, Do you really think that you can win your war against God? And this was, in essence, the extension of what Christ was saying to the Pharisees that Christ was God and that by them fighting against God, the same question to them, do you really think you can win this war against God? So Christ has survived all of these vicious attacks, but then in spite of it all, he continues to throw out this life ring, this life ring again to these perishing Pharisees, chief priests, elders, Sadducees, and lawyers by showing them that He is the God of the Shema. He is the God of hero Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And that's how chapter 22 ended. Now, again now, we come now, and he's gonna make a great pivot where he's gonna turn from his attackers to his disciples and his multitudes, that's verse one, with this great warning Where in essence, Christ is saying to the multitude and his disciples, in essence, he's saying, now look, you all have been the observers of the viciousness of the attackers against me. Now, you beware. You beware. and Don't let them deceive you. Don't let them turn you away from me. Understand who they really are. So he's stripping away all the facades now, and they say, he's saying, look, they sought to destroy me, they're gonna do the same to you because they are agents of destruction. And this is what's following here in this passage in chapter 23 here. So these attacks that Christ endured were not just an innocent banter of a debate. The motivation of these Pharisees was Matthew chapter 12:14 to 12:14, the Pharisees went out and held the council against him, how they might destroy him. In Mark 3:6, Mark 3:6, the Pharisees went forth straightway and took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. In Mark 11:8, Mark and 11:8, the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. And Luke 19, Luke 19, 47, he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes and the chief of the peoples sought to destroy him. See the consistent message here. They are out to destroy him. So make no mistake about it, the Pharisees the chief priests, the Herodians were out to destroy Christ along with the Sadducees and the elders. And this is the characteristic of the interaction with Christ. They were out to destroy him. And from these attacks, he became more and more, as far as we're concerned, he became more and more of our special high priest, because he's touched with the feeling of being attacked by those who are out to destroy him. And this gives us a great boldness when we come to Christ, when we come to him in prayer, and when we've been attacked by those who are out to destroy us, that we can come to him because it says in Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sins. That means that when we come with our problems to Christ, In prayer, we can start our prayer by saying, Lord Jesus, you've been there. Lord Jesus, you know what it's like. You've been touched with the same struggle that I'm feeling, and thank you for being that kind of a special high priest to me. Now, a great conflict was raging inside the disciples, inside the people, and this is the problem. Here's the conflict. What should our position be towards the Pharisee, scribes, elders, Herodians, Sadducees, all the rest of them. I mean, after all, the Pharisees, the scribes, have just shown themselves to be mortal enemies of their master, of Christ. And the disciples felt like the king of Israel at one time in the history with regard to Elisha, when Elisha had brought to the king of Israel the enemies of the king of Israel, of Israel, who were the Syrians, and they, he brought them all there and the king of Israel didn't know what to do. It says in 2 Kings 6.21, 2 Kings 6.21, and the king of Israel said unto Elijah when he saw them, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I kill them? Shall I smite them? He asked twice. And he answered, Elijah answered, thou shalt not smite them. Wouldst not thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared a great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. So as the disciples watched the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the chief priests, the Sadducees, viciously, lawyers, attack Christ, the question was, should the disciples hate them? Should the disciples hate the scribes, Pharisees, and so forth? And this is a problem, believe me, this is a problem I'm faced with. When the rabbis say horrible things against Christ and his mother Mary. And so just as Elisha, told the king of Israel, don't hate them, and destroy them, feed them, clothe them. So Christ explains to his disciples, the multitudes, the scribes and Pharisees, they are sitting in Moses' seat. And they are the interpreters of the laws and the judges. And so out of respect for Moses' seat that the Pharisees and scribes were occupying there, he says, respect them, respect them. Just like Paul, who was being condemned by the high priest, and he realized, when he realized he was talking to the high priest, he showed respect to the person in Acts 23.2. Acts 23.2, the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite Paul on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for thou sittest to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then Paul said, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for he was, for it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. He backed it, he backtracked, he apologized. Therefore, when the Pharisees and the scribes tell the people to do things and they're in agreement with the Bible, he said, do it, obey them. Even though they're wicked, they're still in the place of authority. But Christ said that there's a limitation. There's a limitation of what should be obeyed, and the limitation is, in verse 3, verse 3, do not ye after their works. And their works are, he goes on in verse 3, they say and do not. Their works are hypocrisy. Their works are hypocrisy. They are content to have only an outward show of works, but inwardly, in the heart, that's not important to them. It's not important. And the difference between the outward and the inward is what Christ emphasized with three words when he taught the people and the three words are in his heart, in his heart. Matthew 5, 27, Matthew five 27. You've heard that it's said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart, in his heart? The people listened, and originally we can imagine on the Sermon on Mount when they first heard this, the people said, in his heart? They were astounded. The scribes, the Pharisees, the elders, all of them never talked about in his heart. They only talked about outward, the actions, and the, their response is, what's in his heart gotta do with anything? The scribes and Pharisees saw it was all about in his actions, and that's hypocrisy. And this is what Christ is saying when he says in verse 3, they say and do not, they say do not commit adultery, but they do commit adultery in the heart. And so when Christ says in verse 3, do not ye after their works, the works he's referring to, what's he referring to their works? Traditions, traditions which were the interpretations that they gave on how to keep the what the Bible says. And Christ had a lot to say about their outward traditions, because traditions are all outward. For example, Matthew 15, 16, you made the commandment of God of none-effect by your tradition. You canceled the word of God by your tradition. You voided it out. Mark 713, Mark 713, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which you have delivered, and many such like things you do. That's important, many. The traditions were all the oral laws that were so engulfing and so many that they just took on a life of their own and they just eclipsed the word of God and it just made it not effect. The traditions all come from their oral law, which are the inventions of the elders. Their traditions are their works, their traditions are their idols. And in their traditions they emphasize how the leaders, certain leaders, are very righteous and holy men, which is not exactly what the Bible says about man. God has a totally different view of man. God looks at man and says, Psalm 14.2, Psalm 14.2, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no not one. Psalm 53.2, Psalm 53.2 says almost the same thing. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all of them gone back They are all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way. Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah 64, 6. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have carried us away, blown us away. There's none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. So the reason that the scribes of Pharisees, the rabbis today, uh, persist to call themselves righteous and holy and others of their great leaders is because if a person is righteous and holy, what does he need Christ for? What does he need Christ to die for their sins? And this is what Christ was referring to is Matthew 9.12, Matthew 9.12. You know, I'm, I know I'm really going into Jewish things and Orthodox things about Judaism and Jewish, but that's what the Bible's about. So for in order for us to really understand this whole context of what he's talking about in the New Testament, we gotta get into this world. So he said this in Matthew 9.12, Matthew 9.12. When Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician. They that be righteous, they don't need any help. They that be holy, what help do they need? See, their, their traditions talk about great ones in the past who they say were holy and righteous and with all kinds of superstitious stories. One was just told to me this last week by a rabbi and he asked me, what do you think about this person called the Vilna Gon? the Vilna Gon. The Vilna Gon died in the 1700s. And they say he was a very holy and righteous person. And they say the, the bodies of holy, righteous people, when they die, they don't decompose. And they say that this coffin of this Vilnagon, uh, that three boys came and opened it and they all died within a year, and then when they did look at the body, it had hundreds of years, a long time before. It is still intact, as they say. So, Christ is saying don't believe this nonsense even though the elders of Judaism teach it because there's one goal that they have behind all their works and the goal is verse five, verse five, all their works they do for to be seen of men. And then he speaks of two examples. He says they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now." What he's really talking about here is an addiction, an addiction of for to be seen of men. That's an addiction where everything in life has to be seen, has to be noticed, has to be taken, be observed, and you have to be superior to, you have to be smarter than you have, you have to look better, think better, get a better grade. And that's an addiction that comes from the root of a disease of pride. Pride is a disease, and it's that desire to be, in verse 11, verse 11, greatest among you. Verse 11, exalt himself. It's like a drug addiction. It's like an addiction uh, with methamphetamine. You know, Loretto, as, as you know, is a very small town. It's a very small town. It doesn't take long in that town to learn who is addicted to methamphetamine, And I'm thinking of one uh, young guy, and healthy guy, fisherman, methamphetamine has just destroyed him. He's lost weight, he's thin and he's just skin and bones. His teeth have rotted out, his front teeth are gone, and there's just desire for more met, more. And that's the way pride is. It's an addiction to what Christ described as with one word that he used to describe pride, leaven. He says, leaven. Of the Pharisees and Sadducees, In Matthew 16:6. 6, Matthew 16:6. 6. Then said Jesus unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. As a matter of fact, it's so significant that the time before the Passover, before the Passover, God wanted for every house to be searched and cleansed. Take all the leaven out of the house. Exodus 12:15. Exodus 12:15. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. And whosoever eat leavened bread from the first day to the seventh day, the soul shall be cut off from Israel. So it's and it's a practice today. Before Passover, I remember my grandmother would make sure that everything was searched because my grandfather died. I mean, everything was searched and all the leaven was taken out of the house. I mean, everything was out bread, Twinkies, everything gone. And the reason why God wanted all leaven out of the house and that no leaven should be eaten before the Passover lamb was killed was because leaven is a symbol of pride. Leaven is a symbol of pride. Leaven, like an addiction, grows and it expands. Leaven is responsible for taking a flat piece of dough, making it rise and become puffed up, with air pockets in it to become a nice fluffy loaf of bread. And when a person thinks that he knows more than another person, he becomes proud and the Bible says he gets puffed up like the action of leaven in 1 Corinthians 8.1, 1 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffeth up. Like when a person thinks that, well, The person thinks, I know why one person is saved and another person is not saved. He says, you know? He says, you know what I know? It just appears that that person has a free will to decide for himself to come to Christ, but really he doesn't because I know a great mystery that the only reason a person comes to Christ is not because of his will, it's because God has already predestined him to will to be saved, and that person is just one of the fortunate elect. It's my special knowledge that no one else has, and I have that special knowledge. The action of leaven in bread puffs up the dough to make it much larger than to start it off to be. That's a picture of pride, that's a picture of pride. Knowledge puffeth up. And the killing of the Passover lamb was a very humiliating event because it's when the family would look at this, this sad death of this perfect lamb and realize, I did that. My sin caused the death of that animal. And that's humiliating. And there can be no pride in a person at that time. So the heart has to be cleansed from pride. So the house has to be cleansed from leaven. And the cross of Christ, with the death of Christ, he's the Passover lamb.